Daniel, young and courageous. So hopefully by the end of this series we feel a little bit more courageous looking at the life of, of Daniel and, and his story. Um, so let me just pray before we get into it. Dear Lord, um, we're just excited to be here tonight studying your word um, with the church, with your, with your beautiful church, God. Uh, we just pray that that your word speaks um, into our spirits tonight, that we can um, get something new from you and refreshing from you, God. When we, when we look at the Old Testament, um, God, we can become confused. Um, and, yeah, and it's just hard sometimes to know what, what you're doing. So, Lord, we just pray that you, you, you clear those things up, you make a path for us to understand you more and your son Jesus more as well, Lord. And just lead us to, um, to the cross tonight, God, and... Help us to understand our, and our, our sin but our total dependence on you and your love and your forgiveness, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright. Dipping the Mars bar into your coffee, Lil. <laughs> no, she wasn't. Alright, so we're looking at, I'm looking at Daniel 1, okay? Who can give me a, who knows what happens in Daniel 1? The biggest thing that happens. So, Goliath, not quite. <laughs> so, so we're we're looking at about 605 roundabout BC, okay? And it's the time of the reign of King Jehoiakim, okay? Jehoiakim, and he's the king of Judah. And Israel is just getting hammered by the Babylonians, right? They're getting smashed and overtaken, and King Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon, comes in, besieges Judah, takes over it, alright? Um, so, if, you, if you've got your Bibles there, there's some underneath, I think. Open up to Daniel, alright? I'm just going to kind of flick in and out. There's some big chunks I didn't put up here, but, um, yeah. So, that, that's where I'm up to, alright? So, from Daniel 1, 3 to 5, we, we see this, okay? Uh, then the king ordered Ashpenaz chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So, so the, the, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has ordered that this, this chief, uh, chief, uh, and court official, right, to, to get some blokes of noble blood to come in, and they're going to train them up. They're kind of, kind of train them out of, of, of their worship of Yahweh. They're going to try and teach them the way of the Babylonians, the new, the literature and the traditions. And they're trying to just kind of, get rid of anything to do with Israel or Yahweh, and, 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 and they're going to train them up, they're going to eat their food, they're going to talk like they talk, walk like they walk, that's, that's their idea. Um, so he gets these four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, who knows another three names for those guys? And Abednego lives in a town. Is that a song? Yeah, from a musical, right? 
I think cool. In the furnace, man. <laughs> I was in that. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, none of them. I was in the back, like it's a kazoo, I think. It's a dude. Um, what about Daniel's renamed, his new name? It reminds me of a Pokemon, Belteshazzar. Jason, chocolate. <laughs> um, yeah, so we don't really we don't really talk about Daniel's new name, but um, yeah, he was rena- he was renamed as well, right? So we've got these these four guys that we hear about, um, and then we, we continue from verse eight, um, and we see this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord and King who has a sign that your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king will then have my head because of you. But then Daniel goes, no, just, how about you just give us ten days of just vegetables and water? Alright? Just give us veggies and water for ten days. And if you don't come out um, at the end looking normal or, or better than before, then you can do what you want. So they, so they do this, they eat, they eat the food, they eat vegetables and water for ten days, and, um, and, then, and then they come out and it says that they look healthier and they're better nourished, right? So after ten days of eating just veggies and water, they're looking healthier, better nourished. They're not eating the, the wine and the fattened calf and all the glorious food that, the, that would be at the king's table. Um, and then we... Then we go from verse 17, okay? Um, it says, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And then it, and then it goes on to say, At the end of their time, their three years of training, they were, they were the best of the best. They, but they didn't defile themselves with the king's food and wine. But at the end of their time, just veggies and water... They were, they were, when the king um, had struggles with, with things, they'd get, he'd get these guys in there instead of the, the, uh, the magicians and the enchanters and he'd, he'd ask these boys, what is, what's going on here? Help me out. So, what, what does this mean? What are we going to look at? What are we going to pick apart here? Right? So obviously our thing is, is young and courageous, but I kind of see, I see two things happening here. I see something horrible and disgusting and I see something glorious and beautiful. And and my my kind of thing is is courageous living in the careless world, right? So how do you live courageously in such a broken and careless world? Um, so that we see we see two things, and we see it in verse two. It says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of God. That is, it's just full on, right? A way to disgrace a city that you are besieging, you'd go into, you'd overtake them, and then you'd find their, their place of worship, or their, their shrine, or, or, or whatever, and you'd go in and you'd take 
take their, their emblems or their tokens of their deity or their gods and, um, and they'd, they'd, take them, they'd take them back to their city and then they'd use them for their own whatever they wanted to, to drink out of cups and to, to use the bowls and whatever they did. But because there was no pictures of, of Yahweh, they took all, all their emblems and their tokens that were bowls and cups and all, all this kind of thing. Um, but, but what were they? I was kind of like interested to know what, what they took. So I kind of did some researching and, and we've seen, um, we seen, uh, did I say that? I did now. That's my first point. <laughs> yeah, how do we create just in a world that defiles the sacredness of God? This is, this is the first thing I see. So, um, In Ezra, we get we get a bit of picture. It says here, um, this this is this is after um, Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Okay, it says, moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had been brought by Mithridath, hmm? uh, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. Oh, where do I point it? Uh, this was in inventory. Gold dishes, silver dishes, silver pans, gold bowls, matching silver bowls, and other articles. So this is this is the kind of things we saw. But but what were they used for? Um, I'm going to skip ahead a bit. Don't read. Okay. So you see this in Exodus, it says, and make it, when he's talking about when he's building the Ark of the Covenant and, and making it all beautiful, and what do they do? It says, and make its plates and dishes of pure gold, as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. So these, these things were made, these, these things they took out of the temple were used for, for anointing, uh, and, and it was used for offerings to God, to Yahweh. Like, the, the, these things were just, they were sacred. They were holy. They were used for the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords, Yahweh, God. And then what did, what did Nebuchadnezzar do with them? This is, this is further on in Daniel. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the old, uh, the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of what? Gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. So these these things that were used for adoration and worship and sacrifice to Yahweh, they're now holding these things and worshiping them. It, the 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 bowl, the gold, and they're just they're just totally defiling. Uh, and desecrating the sacredness of God, right? This is the world. The world just absolutely defiles the sacred, sacredness of God. It just turns it upside down. We're seeing Leviticus, Kings, Chronicles, Exodus, all these other scriptures, what these, these bowls were used for and how intricately they needed to be made. But how dare Satan do that? That's what, that's what rises up in me. 
have your sight in the world, grab God's things, things that, that are sacred, things that mean holiness and righteousness, and then he just uses them for his own glory and he, and he turns it upside down. How, how dare Satan? It just disgusts me. And you know what? He's trying to do that to you. He's trying to get something beautiful, something holy, something that God just adores and he, and he wants to just defile it. And he just wants to turn it upside down. This is, this is, this is what I do, this is what I see in Daniel. How do we be courageous in that kind of world? Where like, where sacredness and holiness and godliness is just disappearing, it seems like. And, and Satan seems to be just ruling more and more. He, he does it with, with church. He can destroy sacred. He, get, he comes in and he, he causes bitterness or, or bickering and, and disunity and, and, and he destroys the sacredness of, of, of the church and of God and, and he does that with relationships and intimacy and sex. He, he makes us such a sacred and holy thing and he flips it upside down and makes it something that you just kind of do when you meet someone. That's what people say to me that, that aren't Christian that I know. Like it's, just normal, and and he's saying does it with with life. Like we see, like abortion rates going up, and I, I don't want to judge a person who has to make that horrible decision in that time of need. And I'd probably stand beside someone who did that. But the fact that life isn't sacred anymore, it's sad. Uh, and he does it with wealth and with money and with what honor is. It's just none of this is, is really sacred anymore. The world, how, how are we courageous in a world that just defiles the sacredness of God? I see another thing. The world, it, it woozes to itself. It doesn't know what woo means. Woo! No, it's kind of like... I, that's what I kind of think. It's like wooing is like, there's kind of a good wooing, like a, a man when he's ready to, to marry someone that he's spending a lot of time with, he'll, he'll woo them and, and kind of, come on guys, explain it better to me. <laughs> Brad, how'd you do it? He just, he just wooed him with, he just wooed names with his good looks and just personality. Oh. Yeah. And that's what the world is doing. It's saying, come on. There's a, there's a scene in a movie that I want to play. You, you ready? And, and this scene is from a really funny movie called The Croods. And we get, they get stuck in this tar, right? And the only way to get out is they need to do some wooing. Okay? So hopefully it's going to, we're going to hear it because we had some problems with the audio last time. Oh, that's right. But we can't do that from here. We need one of your ideas. Come on. You can do it. Belt! Emergency idea generator. Activate! Ow! Oh, I got it. Wow. Yeah, 
I know, but he's doing the best of what he has. Let's go. There he is. Now, I want romance, drama, sincerity, movie. as it is it, it's really it's really what the world does that's what Satan does he's 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 there and he's gone woo and, and with with whatever with, it could be work could be relationships it could be to try something new but he's wooing us and he's dang good at it and you get closer and you get closer and you get closer and then all of a sudden you follow and you're stuck in the tar. And you're stuck there. And you're stuck and and it's very hard to get out. And and Satan's been doing this from from Genesis. And um if if you got your Bible I don't have it up here, but Genesis three uh chapter uh, verse one to seven we see this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her, who, uh, to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Satan from the beginning of the time is saying, come on, check it out. It's alright. You know, and he, and he twists truths. He says, oh, what's he say? He says, surely not die. And, and God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. And, and it's kind of wooing, making things look pretty. It says the fruit looked good to eat and was desirable. But then they, they did it. And, and when we follow, we follow this wooing of the world, 
we often we get we get deep into it, and we get to a point when we're filled with shame and guilt, and we look and we're naked, <laughs> and we're bare and we're we're shamed because we've just been uncovered, and and Satan has wooed us, and we've we've realised that we've walked away from our father. Um. Ooh. And we see it in uh, in Corinthians as well. Oh, come on! It says, "But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ." So, just just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to be wooed. And my understanding, my theology, and I'm still trying to th- figure out is that. I believe you can be a Christian and you can be led astray. And you can begin to walk away or you can walk away. But the truth is that the world is always wooing us to itself and it wants to lead us astray. And in 1 John we see, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now we see for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's, that, that's, I want to walk towards the light. I want to go, Jesus is the light. But he's so decept, deceptive and, and wooing him to us that it starts to look blurry. Is it God or not? And then we see in Revelation, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth with his and his angels with him, who leads the whole world astray. That's, that's pretty heavy, right? Satan is, is trying to lead the whole world astray. He's wooing us to him, the kingdom of darkness. So, where does that leave us? Uh, to me, um, it's, a, it's a bit heavy, and I'm like, how the heck do I be courageous when I know that the world just tries to defile the sacredness of God, and that the world is constantly wooing me to, to itself. We see something really cool, though. We need to eat healthily. <laughs> this is how we be courageous. Hang on with me for a sec. Did someone say lentils? It says this. Um, wait, come back. Uh, Daniel 1, 8 to 14, just to give you why I think this. <laughs> um, so it's when, but uh, in verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for per- permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm, I'm afraid of my Lord and King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should we see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? 
the king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had pointed over Daniel and the other guys, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the raw food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. We have to eat healthily. Um, we need to fill ourselves with the righteousness of God, right? And not to defile ourselves with the world. This is how we begin to be courageous. But I don't believe this is so much about hiding from the world or keeping ourselves safe from it. I actually kind of think it's more about what they did rather than what they didn't. I think we need to be super careful of what we see, what we listen to, where we stand, uh, the places we visit. I totally agree with that. And we've got to be super careful and, and go by the Spirit's leading. But I think this is more about what they did do, and that is that they filled themselves with healthy food. And Because um, you can see that God never took them out of the world. In fact, he actually delivered it to, he actually delivered them into the world. And we see it at the start, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim of Judah into his hands. So the Lord actually delivered Judah into the, the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He was never not in control. So it's, and, and then we see later on that, uh, they say, please test us, your servants, for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat. And water to drink, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat at the royal, at the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So there's this idea that even Daniel said, "Test us in this context, in the world." So we've got to be courageous in the world. We can't hide away from the world. Um, I kind of say it's not so much about what you don't do, but it's more about what you do do. That makes sense. Do do. Like if I said, alright guys, everyone, right now, don't think about chocolate. What are you thinking about? Elephants. Oh, chocolate. So if I said don't think about that, you guys will think about it. What if I said, I want you all to think about Jesus on a cross. What are you thinking about? Jesus. Food? Sacrifice. So sometimes with, with young people, like I feel like we, I can or we can say, don't do this, don't do that, don't think about these things. But I actually think it's more about what you do think about. I think, and, and where is your, are you thinking of a scripture right now that your head kind of leads to? Because I am. Philippians? Finally, brothers and sisters. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent of, of, uh, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So there's this idea that we need to be in the mess of the world, in the brokenness of the world, in our own brokenness and weakness, but then meditating on, on the things of God. Let's, let's be church right now and encourage each other. What is true in the kingdom of God? To yell it out. God loves us. That is 
an absolute truth. And that can define your whole life and change your whole life. How, how, how good does that make you feel? How empowering does that make you feel? What's noble in the kingdom of God? Jesus died for us. He didn't sc- score the best try in state of origin history and he's noble now or honourable. He died for us. He says, this is love. Christ died for you. That's noble. Wow. That, that makes me rise above weakness and brokenness and power in the gospel. What's right? Righteousness. Truth. Let's hear something else. Hearing whispers. What is right? I think it's right to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. You guys might have different things. So, if you're Christian, you know you're doing the right thing. (laughs) What's pure? Marriage. Jesus' love. Cool. What's lovely? Creation. Relationships. Oikos. You know, we could keep going like, how cool is it just to meditate on those things for a moment in our week? Uh, you guys just encouraged me. <laughs> Empowered me to keep, to be courageous in a broken, defiled world. And the other thing is, I love how these, these blokes, they did it together. In Hebrews it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some, of, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other to spur each other on, to be courageous, to be, to be eating the right stuff. Sometimes we've got to sit down and eat together. And I love in Galatians, that's, we, we carry each other's burdens. It would have been hard what they did. Three years, I'm sure they would have wanted a steak or something. And the fact that their whole town and everything they know was just overruled and overtaken. And now they've got to learn the way of the people that overtook them. That's hard, but they did it together. But in saying all that, I do believe garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> like, I do believe we need to protect ourselves and, and ask the Spirit for His protection in things we do. But... I do believe it's about us being proactive in what we do, how we do seek godliness and holiness and what we do meditate on. I think that is what spurs us on to be courageous. So my second point is, God resources us with all we need to be courageous. Is, um, in Daniel, so in Daniel 1, 15 to 17, it says, at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any other young man who ate the raw food. So the guard took away all the other food. Um, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams. And at the end of their three years of training, the king would just always call on these guys. I don't want to be legalistic, but there's something in here that says they were obedient and faithful to God and God had to act on that and he, and he did reward their obedience and faithfulness with, with intimacy with God, with Yahweh. So there is that side where, where 
the more faithful we are, the more obedient we are, and seeking God out and getting to know Him in building relationships like we would have a coffee with each other, that our spirit starts to come alive and we can understand God better. And we, maybe we will see, understand visions and dreams and have understanding. But, uh, but listen to this. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of Lord of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How crazy is that? He, he, he gives us everything we need, right? We are now on the same playing field. We are all, all equipped, all resourced, gifted, strengthened by the mind of Christ. How good is that? He, he resources us to be courageous. Everything we need is in Jesus. And, and everything we need in Jesus is sometimes in each other, together. Sometimes I just can't get out of my head what I'm thinking and I need a different perspective. <laughs> but everything we need is in Jesus. In James it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. It's not an intellectual thing. These guys, I'm sure they got smarter in the three years, but you don't, you don't get an understanding of visions and dreams and things like that from mere intellect. This is a gift of God and it says just ask. And ask with everything you've got, right? And he's going to give generously to you. I think if you are faithful with God, spending time with him regularly, praying that prayer every day, Lord, give me wisdom. I need your wisdom right now because I'm so broken. I believe he'll answer that prayer. Because I believe the Bible. Um, and then I just love, I love what I see in the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, how they started their ministries. Isaiah started like this, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. It's, it's Jesus who qualifies you. It's God who qualifies you. You're totally resourced in him. God said tonight, whom shall I send? What are you guys going to say? Send me. Because he qualifies you. It's not an intellectual thing. But, I'm studying Bible college, I'm trying to get a bit smarter. But, and that's good. But, nothing will teach me more than the experience I've had in brokenness and despair and sitting with people and just doing life with people. And then Jeremiah, he starts off in a really similar way. The, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. Whoever feels like that. 
I'm too young. Whoever feels like that, me. Yes, yes. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. Oops. You must go to everyone I send you and to say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God qualifies you. doesn't matter how young you guys are, doesn't matter how old you guys are, smart, dumb, tall, short, whatever. God qualifies you. And if you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you with a faithful and obedient heart. But it comes out of this kind of surrender. Woe to me. I've got nothing to give God. Like, God, I've just got nothing to give you. And I often feel like that on a Monday morning. <laughs> or even before I step up here, I go, God, I've got nothing to give you. Like, what can I give you? And then he goes, okay, now you're ready. <laughs> and, then he, and then he puts the words in my heart and I just try faithfully share that. But in a, in a, so in a, what was the first thing in the world that is, that what? Woos us to itself away from God in a world that defiles the sacredness of God. You forgot already. <laughs> I'm not a very good communicator. How do we be courageous? We are totally resourced by God. Everything in Jesus and in his relational community is, is all we need. It's not an intellectual thing. And the other thing is that we need to be healthy and give ourselves healthy food. And I just kind of wanted to land it on this, this verse that I found is really cool. I pray that out of his glorious riches, let me speak this into your life right now. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, from the inside out, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How good is that? God is in control. He delivered, he, he delivered the Judah to the Babylonians. He, he, he often says that sometimes the, the enemy is... God's um, person or whatever that he uses to bring about his business. God is, is always in control and Jesus is renewing and restoring us to completion. And we can be courageous knowing that we can just seek him out and that we're totally equipped and resourced by him because of what Jesus did on the cross, made a way to be in total relationship with Yahweh, with God. And that we don't need to be dismayed because of how, how wild and wrong the world is. But we need to be faithful to God and obedient to Him and press into Him and seek Him out.
So let me just pray for you guys. Oh Lord, we just look up to these these faithful men and women in the Bible like like Daniel. And and we just we just wonder like if we put ourselves in the in his shoes, what would we do, Lord? And we just pray that we can say, Send me. We pray that we can just be fully equipped and resourced by you and not be chasing uh, intellect or, or smart debating skills or, or anything like that, but we can just be chasing your godly wisdom and your holiness and righteousness. And we pray that you, you help us to feed ourselves with godly things, with healthy things, and that we can spur each other on in that, Lord. And just thank you for what you did on the cross to make a way to the Father, that we can, we can call on your name whenever we need, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.